I know the AGRs, the full-time active people, they have, you know, tap and that's mandated and that's at a certain window time frame. If it was a TPU reservist or an M-Day National Guard, I'd say don't wait until that one year out. I would start it at the two-year mark. You know, I tried to do mine at the one-year out mark and it seemed like things just kept getting pushed. And because we were in that COVID kind of a situation and our unit was so short on people at the time, uh, it seems like all the things that I needed to do all kept getting piled onto one person. And that one person was doing like wearing four hats. So when there was like a mistake with one thing, like a you know, mandatory service obligation date, in my case, uh, it took months and months before that got fixed. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. And today I'm sitting here with Tony Horton. Tony Horton joined the Army in 1989, basic training. He was part of the Air Defense Artillery. He's been to jump school, um, part of the Kentucky National Guard for eight years, um, Army Reserves in the Hunter's Division, and an ROTC course instructor. He was in the 84th Training Command in 2009. He was a Miltech in Pennsylvania in 2013, served in Afghanistan in 2017, 2018 back with the 100th Division, did a tour in Kuwait in 2019, and dropped his retirement paperwork in 2021, and is currently retired and currently working as a GS employee in Germany. So with all of that, welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you. It's good to be here. What is your first 30 to 60 minutes of your day look like compared to when you were on uh, in uniform? Um, it's pretty much exactly the same as it was um, pre-retirement. I mean, um, I mean, when I retired, I was a reservist. So every day wasn't, uh, you know, putting on the uniform and going to work. Uh, and I was already a GS employee um, minus where I go to the gym at. Um, the only thing that's really changed here is I go to the gym later in the day or in the afternoon. Um, here I pretty much just get up, get ready for work, you know, grab a bite to eat, uh, take my shower, get dressed and go to work. Whereas before, um, before I moved over here, um, and it was, you know, shortly after I, re uh, went into the retired reserve when I was still at the Indianapolis MEPS, um, the only difference was I got up, went across the street to the YMCA, worked out, came back, showered, ate, and went to work. So not a whole lot's really changed in my routine. I pretty much get up at almost the exact same time, which was, you know, for for that job and for this job, it, it's got me getting up at the same time. I probably would have been getting up if I was on active duty, you know, time to go to PT. You know, I'm getting up about five in the morning, so. So now that you are retired and you said retired reserves, uh, retired reserves, how does everything feel now that you've had a, a little bit of time and space from the retirement? Again, you were, you were, uh, a GS before that. So you were doing, you know, traditional weekends and two weeks a year and maybe some time in between, but how, how does the time feel now? Does it slow down? Is it sped up a little bit, uh, more energized, anything like that, that you've noticed since you've got the retirement letter? Uh, it's, it's, it's more relaxed. Um, we were talking before this, you know, my Saturdays now that I've gotten to Germany, I've been taking trips, you know, to other places. Whereas, you know, when I was a GS employee and a army reservist, you know, there was one of those weekends that was going to be, you know, leave Indianapolis on a Friday afternoon to drive down to Kentucky to be, you know, that drill the next day. It's, it's good to not have to do that. Um, and it was, it was, it was nice not to have to, you know, try to jump through hoops to find a, you know, a reserve unit here to uh, transfer to, to, you know, do a little bit more time before retiring. It's, it was good. It was nice to just be able to retire. And, you know, today I went somewhere, but, you know, tomorrow I can just not set the alarm, you know, sleep in a little bit, sleep in until maybe eight o'clock. Up to your retirement. Um, can we talk about your retirement process? Maybe the last two, three years, or maybe the last six months of time before you retired, what were some of those processes that you had to go through and deal with? And were any of them 
pleasing? Were any of them displeasing? Did you have any specific ones that you could point out were ones that stuck out in your mind as far as um, good, bad, or otherwise? Uh, you know, a, a, a good one that you know, was a pleasant surprise was the fact that you know when I first got back from Kuwait, we we fell right into the full fledged COVID. You know, so all the lockdowns and all that stuff had had started, and I knew when I got back from Kuwait that I was possibly going to do three possibly four more years and then you know retire um but when i got back and all the COVID was going on um and you know all the battle assemblies for drill weekend ten, uh, some 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 of them were virtual and then some of them were kind of a blended where some people would be virtual and other people would be actually at the at the unit um, and then we would go back and, you know, the COVID would rise up again. And so that everybody would be virtual again, um, sitting on teams, doing sharp training and, uh, you know, government travel card training and DTS training and, and some of those, some of those trainings over and over, um, that quickly made me decide, Hey, you know, this, this environment, uh, the way it's looking right now is, is not working out. So. Yeah, I went ahead and was like, hey, I plan on going ahead and dropping that packet. Uh, unfortunately, everything was still in that COVID uh, restrictive scenarios where some people were teleworking and you couldn't always find a person to get a hold of. I was pleasantly surprised that when it came down to my last eight months or so, uh, nine months, I started looking for the retirement workshops and um, I, I was able to find a, a, a pre-retirement workshop that was going on in Indianapolis uh, by the 88th um, RD. And I went to that and I was pleasantly surprised that there was an in-person, you know, because I've had about my fill with, you know, virtual and teams based. Was it the was it the virtual part of it, or was it the fact that you were? It seemed like all you were doing was mandatory training online for drill. It was it was because there's only so much you can't do the uh, physical. I'm more of a hands on, so I like to do things. When we were at the unit at Fort Knox, um, we had to try our best just to get because everybody was getting ready for the new PRT, and so uh, a lot of times. You know, when we were there, it was, okay, one of those days was going to be a diagnostic PR, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, ACFT. Um, so, um, you know, that was generally one morning of, of the Battle Assembly weekend. Um, and then there were so many people that if it was a blended Battle Assembly, only only half the people were there. And so it seems like if you were doing it on teams, it just seemed to be the same thing over and over, the same repetitive training. And if you were there, then the people who were actually made it in or were allowed to come in, uh, like a percentage of people within a certain commuting distance, or uh, then they they got stuck doing all the work. Uh, so it just, it, it, you know, it, it was just, a, it was a just, you know, tw Middle 2020 and pretty much all of 2021, pretty much set the set the um, set the pace for what I, it felt like it was going to keep being. So I was like, "Yeah, I'd I'd rather not rather not keep doing this." Yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting time. I mean, I was an AGR active at the time when when that happened, and there's so many things going on. It seemed like it was a little bit more productive because we were able actually to get people to do things and keep people accountable. But at the same time, like you said, there was when, when we were there blended or, you know, part-time folks that could come in and, and actually attend in person, uh, we ended up doing all the work. <laughs> so. Yeah. Running around. And then on top of that, you were having to be, Oh, someone come over here and actually record this for all the people who are virtual. Um, and somebody ever would give all the, oh, that was great. It was thumbs up. And, and it's like, yeah, there's four people back at the unit that are running around and making all these things happen. So if you had to give somebody advice who was about two years out from retiring in the reserves, would there be like a, a 
one or two things that you would tell them to make sure that they put on their main list of priority prioritized stuff to do in order to get prepared to be retired? Definitely a pre-retirement workshop. Uh, find one in person, uh, schedule to go to one. Um, and if you're a TPU reserve, I know, I know the AGRs, the full-time active people, they have, you know, tap, um, and that's mandated and, and that's at a certain window time frame. Um, if, if it was a TPU reservist or an MDA national guard, I'd say, don't wait until that one year out. I would start it at the two year mark because, you know, I tried to do mine at the one year out mark and it seemed like things just kept getting pushed. And because we were in that COVID kind of a situation and our unit was so short on people at the time, uh, it seems like all the things that I needed to do all kept getting piled onto one person. And that one person was doing like wearing four hats. So, uh, yeah. When, so when there was like a mistake with one thing, like a, you know, mandatory service obligation date in my case, uh, it took months and months before that got fixed. Uh, I was really pleasantly surprised that we were able to get my retirement off the, off the way we did because I mean, I was going through, you know, doing the counselings, and that's when we found out the dates didn't seem right. So uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait as a reservist until that last year. I'd go ahead and do it at the two-year mark. If you want to do the forty-one eighty-seven at two years out, you know, your intent, you know, when you sign that forty-one eighty-seven saying I, I intend to transfer the retired reserve on such and such, that's that's kind of what the date that counted. Did you have any? issues figuring out like your points to make sure that you put in to understand when your actual retirement date was going to be or was there any confusion with any of that as far as points no because um i knew i had a lot you know and and the you know the retirement points calculator um i i knew what my points were you know i, I talked to my my g1 um nco and she was like yeah um you know i got with her and made sure that the dates that I was thinking about retiring, it wasn't going to conflict. Uh, mine was more about my last promotion and making sure I got past the, uh, the required, required time and rank and grade. But as far as the retirement, like your rye and all that stuff, talk to your personnel people and make sure you know, your G1, your S1 to make sure that, you know, you're not messing yourself self up and dropping an entire year, you know, losing a year in points. But, when you were trying to uh, figure out your transition after retirement, you had a GS job. You, you were in Indianapolis at the MEPS, you said. And so when you decided to transition and move on first, like why did you pick Germany? And then second, how did that process work for you as far as applying, getting the job, getting all your stuff together, doing the move, landing on the ground. How did that work out? I had already started the process, you know, of, of starting the retirement process. I was already in that when the, the position in Germany, I was, you know, working in Indianapolis um, when I put in for my retirement or started the process for my retirement. Um, you know, the posting of the job didn't come up until a few months later, and I went ahead and applied for it. Um, it wasn't until I was getting close to my last three months of, of getting close towards that retirement date when I got called about the job in Germany. So that's when it became very hectic, like, okay, we got to make sure that this retirement process happens before I have to leave Indianapolis and go to Germany. So that became pretty hectic. Uh, but it just it seems like uh, everything lined up and all the cards fell right into place. And, uh, you know, it was like June, the first week of June, I got the order saying that, you know, August 1st was going to be my my retirement date. And um, I think it, in the July would be my last battle assembly. And probably a week after my last battle assembly is when, or maybe it was a week before my last battle assembly is when I got my actual confirmation orders that I was, you know, the, the firm job offer. I had the tentative job offer since May, but the firm job offer came right before I did my last battle assembly. So, um, it was good to have, you know, 
that that retirement, you know, the transfer to the retired reserve date orders in hand when that came in because it just made it that much smoother to go ahead and leave the job um, and know that I was already, you know, in the retired reserve and then I would just have to move myself and, and do the, the, the full-time job and not have to add all of the, uh, the reserve portion to it. Sounds like a nice security blanket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hectic. It's hectic when you're moving, especially when you're moving like you were from one country to another country. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on in the background. You know, you have to wait, you know, 30 to 60 days to get your household goods moved and then delivered and then getting a car and figuring out things on the ground. Where are you going to live? Going through the whole in processing into Germany um, or, you know, Oconus, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different animal, um, you know, coming over here as a civilian than as a, as a military person or coming over here, you know, for a three year, as opposed to somebody maybe just coming over TDY. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, this has been an interesting process. Um, the in-processing was, I mean, while it wasn't the most impossible thing, it was, um, something I never really experienced before, you know, all the things that you have to do with the VAT and the UTAP and, um, you know, getting your user driver's license and, you know, just all the different things, finding a vehicle, getting it registered within the, um, you know, um, user system and, you know, finding a place to live, you know, getting a TLA before you come over here or, you know, some people just, you know, fly into Ramstein and just stay in the hotel. Um, there's just so many different pieces of it. Yeah. You almost get a taste of what it's like to actually PCS there as a, an active duty service member, because it's really the same exact process. Like it's not really so different for civilians versus active duty. Uh, Cause you have to go through all those same, you know, hoops to get things accomplished, able to live your life. But, you know, after it settles down now, I'm, I've been here since the middle of September. It's, it's, you know, starting to settle down. I'm, I'm into a place. Uh, I have a car. I went ahead and got my international driver's license. So if I decide to drive, you know, across the border, I'm, I feel a little bit better about it. Was there a legacy that you wanted to leave behind when you retired or was there maybe and it doesn't have to be a personal legacy. It could be a, a continuation, passing the torch to somebody else, uh, creating an environment for somebody else to succeed. Um, was there one? And if there was, uh, what was it? And were you, do you feel like you were able to accomplish that legacy? Yeah. I just wanted to add value to the organization. Um, and I wanted to be able to, wherever it was, wherever my last unit was going to be. I mean, I probably made the decision you know, long before I, I retired, uh, it didn't matter what unit I was going to retire from, as long as I didn't hoard information and, uh, you know, be that person that, you know, when they left that everybody goes, well, what do we do? I don't know. So-and-so used to do it. You know, um, I would always just share, you know, cause I was not the one who, who I didn't invent anything. I didn't discover fire. Um, you know, these were just processes and, 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 and things the way they worked. And when I found out how they worked, I would share that knowledge and pass it on to the next person and everybody around me. That way, you know, when you do go down or leave or PCS or retire, um, then, the next person just steps right into your place. One of the things I did want to do before I retired is just see as much as I could see as much as I could is from what the military had to offer, uh, places to go, things to do, do different things. Um, and I felt like I did, um, especially the, probably the last about eight years of my reserve career. Um, I probably saw more in the last eight years in the army reserve than I did in the previous all time on active duty and in the national guard and first few years that I did in the reserves. So I was, I was content with that. 
about the time I came back from Kuwait, I was like, I think I've seen about as much, much as, you know, I could have ever, more than I could have ever expected to see. So I was happy with it. And along those same lines, uh, when you said leave behind something for the, the people behind you to actually leave something behind for the people behind you to actually be able to carry on the mission, carry on the torch. Uh, do you have anything specifically that you left behind, like maybe a, a folder or a share folder or something with some information or like an email PST file or anything like that? Well, I mean, different places. The last, my last place, um, it was, uh, I was just falling into a spot that was um, part of a team that we, we had enough people. So it's not like there was one linchpin. Um, there was enough people that all shared the same knowledge, but, you know, a couple previous places, um, especially my, um, my, my nine months in Kuwait and then the previous uh, time in Afghanistan. Yeah. What I would do is, you know, every, everything that was part of that position, I would um, create a PST for that position. So if it was, you know, engineering NCOIC or the JNCC alpha or JNOSC alpha in Bagram, Afghanistan, just create a, you know, PST that says engineering NCO and, everything that was related to that put in that PST. And then as you're getting ready to do your rip toe and the person gets on ground and they get their, um, they get their network account and they get their email set up and um, their zipper and all that. Um, you just drop the PST in a, a share drive um, that they have access to and give them rights to it and let them grab it. And then they have all the previous conversations that you had with all those previous points of contact. Um, a lot of times you get to places where the shares exist. Um, so, you know, you can take it for what they are, you know, point, point people to the shares and stuff like that. But yeah, keeping people, uh, you know, your replacement in, uh, abreast of, you know, all the conversations that you had previously had with people, you know, take them around and introduce them to the people, you know, as part of the left seat, right seat, but you know. The PST was, I found was a good one. So after the fact, after you've departed, there was, you know, the person reaches out, you know, to the, the person in that position who replaced you, they go back and they look at the PST. Oh yeah. You know, they had a conversation about this six months before I got here. So that was, that was a good thing to do. Yeah. It's really good. Historical documentation is not something that everybody does and it's, uh, it's not really the norm anymore. And I get mixed answers when I ask that question. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Um, I think it's it's definitely something to to keep in mind, even even beyond that, like even now, you know, doing the same thing in your civilian life beyond the military. Um, I think it's important. For your retirement, did you go out and get a retirement gift or get anything that resembled a retirement gift, whether it was a book or Hopefully not buy a new car. Well, I mean, maybe, but. <laughs> oh, you mean buy myself a gift? Uh, no, no. There was so much going on at the time. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, while it was a lot of years spent in the military, you know, being, being a TPU reservist, uh, you know, the last 17, almost 18 years of my career. Um, uh, it didn't seem like now it definitely was part of my life, but it wasn't the majority of my life for those last 18 years, you know? So, um, and plus the fact that I was getting ready, you know, trying to hurry up and get ready to go to Germany. So actually I was, I wasn't going out trying to buy stuff cause I was actually trying to downsize and take less <laughs> to Germany than, um, than I had in Indiana. So, um, there was nothing I went out and bought. Now, did I receive things from the unit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a pleasant surprise. Uh, some of the gifts I got, uh, both from the unit, uh, as a whole. And then my section that I was in, um, definitely better than what I could have expected. You know, was there one gift in particular that stood out that really like maybe punched you right in the feels a person that you and I mutually used to work with. And, um, uh, He's a good friend of mine, um, my Sergeant Go. He uh, he was in the section with me in the 100th Division in the G6, and we had previously been in the 84th together in the G6. And um, 
you know, his, his visual information job at HRC. Um, he asked me probably about six, seven months before my retirement days, Hey, do you have any, you know, pictures of yourself throughout your military career? And I was like, yeah, I, I definitely have a couple. Um, and so he was like, send me anything, you know, you think kind of sums up the different parts of your career. Like, you know, when you're on active duty, when you're in the national guard, uh, when you're in the army reserve. Um, and, uh, so I gave him a few things that I could find. Um, there's unfortunately so many things that got lost, some, some good pictures that got lost, but, um, you know, as you make that transition from, you know, disposable camera age and, um, to the, uh, you know, something you might take with a Polaroid to something you might take with a regular camera to things that were taken off your, you know, first generation iPhone to the newer stuff now. Um, so there are things that, you know, kind of got lost. Um, but he, uh, he found a place that, um, online that does like collages and, and got a big poster board, like a canvas. And it's a, I think it was a, I left it at my mom's cause I didn't want to ship it over here to Germany cause I didn't think the movers were going to, uh, take care of it very well. So, um, but it was like a, it's a cutout, um, of like a, a, a silhouette of a soldier saluting. And then in the silhouette of the soldier, it's all the different pictures. And he even, he even found some pictures from when we were at the 84th when I did a reenlistment ceremony down at uh little slugger, um, field, um, at a, at a little bats game. Um, and, uh, some, some stuff from, uh, the, yeah, the, I think he got that off of the 84th, uh, uh, website or something like that. And, um, some stuff that we had done from the hundred division during our annual trainings, uh, the, you know, the rifle range, uh, obstacle course ranges, stuff like that. Uh, some pictures that I had given him from when I was on active duty way out in Fort Ord, California, pictures from Fort Hunter Liggett, um, just all kinds of stuff. That was, that was a really good one. Um, and then the unit got me, uh, a shell casing, um, from a change of command ceremony, one of the hundred division shell casings and it polished up. I think it was like one of those one Oh five shells. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. And plus, you know, my last uh, battle assembly happened to fall on, you know, the July uh, battle assembly when we were already going to have a, you know, a family day on Sunday. So that got to be my last, you know, day at drill, you know, it was, was, you know, ends with a, a party, you know? Yeah. It's a nice way to go out. That's one of the interesting things about being in the reserves too, is you're with a unit for so long. Uh, as opposed to being in a unit for three years or four years, like sometimes you're in a unit, your whole career just depends on how, how the cards fall. But, you know, you could be in a unit for 10, 15, 20 years and you're building bonds with those people for that long, long of a time. Uh, it's really a, a night and day difference between active duty and, and reserves. I actually feel like, you know, the, the, the amount of time I did in the army reserve, I, I, I did feel like I, I moved around maybe not quite as much as, you know, an active duty, you know, soldier PCS in every three years. But as far as a reservist, I felt like I, I moved around a bit, you know, I spent a little time in the ROTC um, unit and then I transferred to another unit and that's what got me into reclass into 25 Bravo and came over to 84th. It feels like I spent a lot of time at the 84th, but I was really only there about three, three and a half years. Um, and then I, you know, got to the, within the 94th division, um, and then over to the ARCD for a short period of time. And then, you know, wanting to get back into 25 Bravo stuff and, um, you know, at ADOS tour at DFAS, helping with their life cycle replacement, which rolled straight into going to Afghanistan, which eventually brought me back to the 100th division. I said, I want to go back to doing you know, 25 Bravo stuff. And, you know, so it was, it was only fitting that the, the reserve unit that I, 
that I first came into the Army Reserve with 4th Battalion, uh, 399th, uh, the, the ROTC Battalion there at, at Fort Knox, they fell under the 100th Division when I first came into that unit. Um, and actually, when I was in the 1st uh, of the 123rd Armor in Kentucky National Guard, uh, they're the ones when I reclassed to 19 kilo, it was the 100th division who were the instructors that, that were teaching 19 kilo. Um, and then, you know, when I came into the army reserve, the unit I was in fell underneath the 100th division. So it was only fitting that I, you know, go out and retire from the army reserve at the division headquarters for 100th division. Yeah, it's certainly. And I mean, yeah, the, the Kentucky area itself, just Louisville and, and all that is, uh, is a pretty tight knit community either way. I think just from some of the people who've been living there or some of the civilians who are in that area and, uh, a lot of interesting, uh, interactions and a lot of interesting conversations, a lot of interesting making friends with people in that area. And then how those relationships kind of intertwine with other relationships throughout the career. Like even after I moved on, um, bumping into you again or you know by way of you coming crossing paths with with master sergeant go and uh just really awesome to be able to to reconnect those those spider webs of connections so so in the in the retirement process that you did um were there one or two things out of the checklist of things that you did that didn't seem so important at the time when you, when you saw them on the checklist, but after the fact you were like, Hey, these should have been actually like one or two of the priorities that I really, really, really should have looked at. And I know you mentioned, um, starting by doing a retirement brief. Um, but was there anything on that checklist that looked kind of like mundane and not so, not so obvious that then after the fact was really, really obvious in your mind that it was super important. Not for me, because I, I did realize that figuring out your points, but um, I can see where people, you know, or have heard about people who, who didn't take seriously, you know, verifying their retirement points, you know, how many points they had, uh, what that means as far as the retirement point calculator, um, what that what's gonna, what that's going to mean when it comes time to actually, when you start collecting when you hit that 60 or that reduced retirement of like say 59 or 58 or whatever it is, you're going to start collecting. Um, not waiting until the last minute. So it becomes more of a, you know, make sure you're checking it every year at your rye. Um, I know uh, some of the units that were in, they would have the birth month audits and they would always go through, Hey, if you checked your points, um, and I know 84th was really good about that when we were we were there. The the G1 there was really good about making sure that all your stuff. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it was Chief Conrad that when I came in the Army Reserve, uh, I was probably in the Army Reserve about three months. Uh, I mean, three years before I got over to the. Um, I'm sorry, no, I was more than that. It was it was my first year at the 84th, but I'd probably been in about five years or six, six years. And when I got over to the 84th, uh, he's the one that told me he was the first one to really dig into my stuff. And he said, uh, it looks like you just came into the military when you joined the army reserve. And, uh, I said, what? He says, I know you were active duty. Um, and I know you did time in the national guard, but none of that's reflecting. Um, so I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't know. I was like, I, I have DD 214 from active duty. You want it? And he was like, get that and in your, uh, NGB 22 and get a NGB 23 from, from Frankfurt and get me those things. And we can start like putting it, you know, um, so I was, you know, putting it together, your, 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 your military career before, um, the army reserve. Um, so it, uh, don't think that somebody else is gonna, um, do that. And, and, and I kind of was kicking myself after, um, that he found that and took care of it. And I was glad that, you know, 
I had a good uh, warrant officer in the G1 shop that went out of his way to really fix my stuff because um, I had been in units before that it just slipped slipped by him. Um, and, um, you know, I had a, you know, a four year break coming from the guard to the reserve. So, you know, systems don't talk. You're going from one technological point in time to another technological point in time from paper to, you know, things being on computer or whatnot. But, um, yeah, definitely you shouldn't even wait until it's, it's time to start planning your retirement. You got to make sure your point stuff is all correct. All your records are correct. I had things that uh, also when I got to the 84th, uh, things that happened in my active duty time and uh, National Guard time, while they might have, you know, been permed somewhere else, um, they weren't uh, they weren't showing up in the in the in in uh, where they should have been. Um, so I know uh, when I got to the 84th also, there were, you know, AAMs and things like that that didn't even exist in my files. And I had, you know, I had the actual paper documents and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say the retirement points is probably the thing that people overlook. And um, from that point on, from when was it, 2010, 2011, um, uh, when when Chief Conrad made that discovery and, and fixed my stuff, um, I made sure every year that my stuff was showing up correctly. But I know there are people that will get to that retirement briefing and realize, oh, my goodness, my stuff's all messed up. Um, but, you know. Yeah, the, the points that you mentioned it earlier um, in the discussion and, and just wanted to kind of put a nail in it as well. It's, it's one of the things that I tracked from an AGR perspective. It's a little bit different, but it's actually, it's actually worse because we don't do birth month audits since you're on active duty. Technically you're title 10. So they just, it's like, yeah, you get 365 points a year. It's no big deal. But when you have to calculate all of that, plus your reserve time, plus your active duty time, plus any any other service time that you have and combine all that together and combine all those points and come up with 7,300 points or more. Um, and a lot of that stuff is scattered like that. So from the reserve side, uh, it's, it's definitely, that's why they do the birth month audits. And I, I hope they still do them. Um, I don't know if they still do them, but they're super, super important because you basically get all of your stuff together and all your stuff in line, all your awards, all your, um, identifiers, your skill identifiers, all your extra, uh, college credits, like all that stuff gets calculated in and put together when you do your birth month audit. So I hope they still do them. Um, I don't know if they do. It's been so long since I've done a birth month audit, <laughs> but, uh, thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. That's a, that's a very important point. I agree with you. Have you gone through and finished, completed your VA process as far as getting your, your VA reviewed and, and approved or not approved? And how's that process been for you? Well, I've, I've, I've submitted after Afghanistan, a, uh, I put in for um, my sleep apnea, um, but that, uh, that got, you know, denied up, upon the first, uh, the first look um, while I was in Kuwait. Uh, and then when I got back, you know, it was COVID times and tried to reach out to the American Legion or, you know, um, the VA itself. And it just um, became something I, I, I kind of put off until right before I, I left to come here. So uh, I plan on, um, there's some VA reps here in, in the Kaiser Slaughter area that uh, I'm going to be visiting with in the three years that I'm here um, to ask them to, to take a second look. Um, but uh, short answer, no and yes, you know, um, but I do have to revisit. So yeah, to, to get your rating settled, um, you might reach out to, I'm currently doing it. I, I put in with my, um, BDD benefits delivery discharge before I got out and it never really got processed all the way through. Um, and so I've reached out now to, uh, wounded warrior through their website. 
um, from a friend of mine, from Gary Frobard. He let me know. He gave me the tip. And um, and now they're actively taking taking a look at it and making sure all my paperwork is correct and everything's lined up and that I'm actually asking for everything that's within the scope of my medical records and all that stuff. And, and they don't charge you anything or like that. There's some, some organizations out there that do charge you. And I mean, it depends like if, if that's what you want to do and they, and they do the job and you, you don't mind parting ways with that money and it's worth it for you by all means. But um, if you can do it for free and get the same kind of results, like why not? And you have an advocate who's actually actively working on your case specifically. So that might be one avenue of approach you might might try or might look into. You said wounded warrior? Wounded warrior, yeah. Yeah. They're they're a great organization. I mean, I, I, I'm indifferent to whether people like them or not or for whatever reasons, but if they're helping soldiers, like that's to me that's a win. And so they're doing the right things. And the, the people that I've spoken with so far, nothing but helpful. And they, they check up and they reach back and they circle back and close loops on things and, and make sure that they're taking care of me along the way and make sure that I'm being considered as part of their, their workday. So I have nothing bad to say about them. Like I'm really highly impressed with what they've been doing so far. Yeah, I look into that too. As a, as a, you know, I started with American Legion trying to get them to do, um, assist me with that. But yeah, then when I was gone in Kuwait and come back and can't reach people in their offices and in the middle of a move from Kentucky to Indianapolis, and you know, it 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 took a while. And then I then I got settled in, and I'm like, well, I'm not going anywhere. And then, oh crap, I am. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Yeah, get it taken care of sooner than later. It's uh, it's definitely important, and it definitely helps. And uh, yeah, it's good to get that stuff knocked out because VA can take quite a quite a while. Do you happen to have any books or documentaries that you would recommend? Like one to three top books or documentaries that you would recommend to somebody? Ones that have greatly impacted your life over the last, you know, however many years. I don't really do that spiritual reading, that growth reading. Um, the most of the reading that I do is just reading just for the, the sheer entertainment of the story, you know? Um, like when I was young, it was things like the Hobbit. And I know there are lots of worldly messages in the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Um, but that's not why I was reading that stuff. Um, and, and so the, a lot of the books that I've read uh, throughout my life, whether, you know, technical stuff to just to keep abreast, but uh, of, of the tech, techno, technological stuff that's going on or, or from our job field. But, um, you know, the other reading that I would do would just, would just be purely for entertainment. It's not like reading... I don't really go out and read the Tony Robbins or, um, you know, uh, more, I, I do like some historical stuff or some, but some, some fiction, historical based fiction stuff, you know, so, um, you know, it, it would just be preference stuff. It's not like, uh, any, like, oh, you have to read, you know, the Canterbury Tales or something, or, you know, uh, um, you know, tale of two cities or anything like that. Um, well, I mean, out of those categories, what, what is one of your, your favorite books that you've read out of any of those categories? It doesn't have to be some help or anything like that. I mean, when I was very young, I read the Hobbit. Um, and, and then that got me to be a fan of all the JRR token stuff. So, um, so, you know, later on after I finished the Hobbit, I, you know, read Lord of the Rings, two towers, or the fellowship of the ring two towers and return of the king and you know um but then you know after those it was more stuff like when i first joined the military i was reading some some of the tom clancy's some of that ryan universe you know um you know read some of the um the vince flynn's and the uh, um the brad thors you know those those type of kind of military-esque thrillers you know uh, very much in the same, you know, vein as, you know, the Tom Clancy's, 
Um, but it's all just for entertainment value. It's not for you know life lessons or anything like that. And would The Hobbit be a, a good place for somebody to start to get into the, like that fantasy fiction kind of world? Would that be a good place? Uh, you know, I thought it was when I was, God, what was I in like maybe 10 or 11 years old when I read it? Um, I thought it, I thought it was, um, you know, and it keeps on going. I mean, now we're, you know, Amazon prime's got the, what, uh, that series going on right now, rings of power or something like that. Um, so I mean, it's, it's out there, you know, um, I know there's lessons down in there that they're, you know, power corrupts and all that stuff and you know um all those things but you know for me it was just i liked it so yeah i mean there's i think there's actually lessons in everything that we read and everything that we see whether it's a good lesson or a bad lesson or whatever but um i think there's always stuff to be learned and i i, I asked the question because it's kind of it actually leads into another question um if you could go back to have a conversation with your 16 year old self and just to go back and sit down and like have a chat or whatever, or play some ball. And he may or may not know that it's his future version of him talking to him. Um, where would you actually bump into your 16 year old self? Like what, what would the place location time be? And, and what kind of conversation would it be? I mean, it sounds like it wouldn't be a philosophical, like, hey, don't do this, don't do that. But it doesn't have to be that. It could be just a regular, like, conversation. I don't know where I would have bumped into myself at 16, probably just roaming around like every other 16-year-old, just doing whatever um, we did for fun, you know, whether it was, uh, you know, playing basketball or I actually, I think I was playing tennis in high school a couple of years, but um and we did that for fun some, um, or, you know, swimming or whatever. But, um, yeah, I just say don't settle for, you know, you know, um, there was, there was a point in time after, you know, um, uh, after active duty and while I was in the national guard, I was just kind of settling, you know, um, and it wasn't until I came into the army reserve that I wanted to get out and do more. Um, so I would have, I would probably tell, tell her like, Hey, don't just settle for what's good enough. You know, don't, don't wait, um, to get started on the rest of your life. You know, don't just settle into a, into our little rut and say, okay, well, this is good enough for now. It, you know, it pays the bills I'm getting by, you know, I would, you know, um, cause I was always a person that was very geography geographically um i was interested in geography you know um and some of the things i was doing right after i got off active duty and was in the national guard i wasn't gonna go and see much you know i was just not doing anything um and it wasn't until you know i came into the army reserve and said i want to travel more i want to do stuff um that i started actually going places and seeing things and and doing stuff so i would just tell myself don't wait you know to do that traveling seek it out try to do it don't let it just come to you um and and i feel like a lot of people you know we we run into people uh being in the military um um that like i, I could go over to ramstein right and just start a conversation at the BX in the food court with somebody and be like, Oh, Hey, uh, you've been here, you've been there and find out that we've been in like five, six different places that, that we've all, we, that we've both been to, you know? Um, and you find that you know, a lot of the, the, the people in the military that you speak to, you know, they've been around, they've traveled. Um, and I don't know about you, but you know, in that time frame, right after I got up, especially when I was in high school and, right after I got out of the uh, active duty and was in the national guard, you know, I'd ran into people that hadn't traveled anywhere. You know, the fact that I had done, you know, basic training in Oklahoma and went to Fort bliss, Texas for AIT and went to Fort Benning, Georgia 
for jump school and went to California and was in Monterey, California when I was on active duty. That was impressive to them. Um, and so many people just kind of settle for that, you know, growing up in that town and just staying there and not moving. And, um, and for me, you know, I was very, you know, I liked geography. I, I wanted to see places and do things. Um, the fact that I kind of waited a long time before I actually started seeking it out, I would tell myself, don't wait, just, just go ahead and seek it out. I'd probably tell myself to go ahead and reenlist on active duty too. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, when you make that decision to join the army, like you're going to make, just go ahead and stay in, you know, and go to as many places as you can. Yeah. That's, that's excellent advice. It's, um, I mean, that's what we join the military for, whether we do it subconsciously or consciously, like we want to explore the world and get out of our comfort zone and get out of our localization and, and see things, whether it's seeing the next town or seeing the next country over. Uh, so yeah, it's, that's really good advice. I really like that. That's very Tony Robbins esque. <laughs> no, it's, that's really good. Um, that's a great answer, man. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that with me. Um, if you could have one phrase, maybe one sentence or a small, you know, a couple words that you could stick on a LinkedIn post and say that LinkedIn post was guaranteed to reach 5 million people. And it could be anything witty. It could be snarky. It could be anything, any, some, something that you would want to say to get out to the world that maybe you had on your chest or you've been thinking about in your mind for several years, some, some little couple words like mine, for example, would be, um, something similar to what you told your, your 16 year old self is like, don't be afraid to open your mouth and meet people around you because you never know what surprises they hold. Anything like that that comes to mind? See the world, see the world, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I am kind of a reserved person, but when I start talking to somebody, um, I really start talking to them. Um, you really find out that it's like, there are so many people that you have so many things in common with. You don't even realize it until you start talking to them. And you know, that's, since I've been here in Germany, I've gone on, you know, a few of the, uh, the, the trips. And every time you, you go on those trips, you meet the people that want to go out and see the things. And then you start talking to them and you find out all the places that they've been that you haven't been, but all the places you've both been. And, you know, when you were there and when they were there, and then they give you suggestions. So well, you should go here and see this and go there and do that. And, you know, and then, then when you're at those places, how they just talk to people that were from there and, you know, got to, you know, learning other people's stories kind of just, I don't know. It just adds something to yours. It just, you know, I met this person and they did this and, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. It's, I don't know, just traveling, meeting people and doing things and, and seeing stuff. That's, that's something, you know, so see, see as much as you can see the world or whatever parts of it, you know, don't, don't limit yourself. Don't box yourself in. Yeah. It's kind of, it's one of the selfish reasons why I do this podcast really. I mean, I'm doing it to help people along their journeys of military retirement and get information to people. But at the same time, I'm selfishly like reconnecting with friends meeting new friends, learning people's stories, uh, and pulling the threads of, of their stories to go a little bit deeper, just to see like what's really under the hood and what's, what are they all about? So, and hopefully the same in, in reverse, whenever, when they're talking to me, they get a little, little bit of my story, a little bit more of my story. Um, but it's more about, it's more about you. It's more about the people on the other end of the, of the microphone. Um, more than anything else. Um, do you have any parting words of wisdom, anything that you would like to mention to the audience? It's starting to grow. So, uh, you never know who hear it, but anything you'd like to, anything we didn't discuss or anything that you might want to dig into for a few minutes before we 
pop off? Well, it doesn't probably relate to me or you right now, but I know with the blended retirement system and you may have had some, some, some people uh, that you've interviewed already kind of maybe mention this. Um, it's kind of a new world um, for the military as far as like you're doing this on retirements, but you know, here after a few years, I don't know how many years exactly. And no one's, I've never talked to anybody that gave me the exactly when all the grandfathered traditional retirees all have been, you know, retired out of the military. And then everybody, you know, starts doing the blended retirement system is, um, people are really going to have to think about where they're putting their stuff, uh, where they're putting their eggs, what baskets they're putting them in, because, you know, we try to have three or four different little streams, um, of income and, you know, the retirement, the, the, uh, the traditional retirement was one of those streams that we were counting on. Um, and now we're, we're going to have, you know, after however many years it takes before all the traditional uh, retirement people are gone, that, uh, you know, the blended retirees are going to be coming in and they're going to have to be a little bit more uh, crafty with what they're doing with their, with their, their finances and where they're putting them. That's a great point that you bring up. Um, I did. I actually spoke with General Robinson. You may or may not know him. And that was one of the questions that I pulled from uh, the Warren Officer cohort and asked, like, hey, if you could sit down with a, you know, a two-star general for, you know, an hour and have a chat, like, what are some of the big important questions that would come up that you would want to ask him? So I grabbed a few of those questions. One of those was on blended retirement. His thoughts on it were it gives people more options. Like you don't have to necessarily stay until 20 to collect the money that you put in or the money that you should get at retirement. So it gives people a little bit more leeway if they want to stay in for 20, if they want to stay in for 30, if they want to stay in for seven, um, they have more options. And I guess based on his, his experience and what he knows, and, and I don't know a thousand percent about it, but, um, I know it's, it comes out to be similar amount to the regular retirement. It's just divvied up in a different way and it's kind of put into different, it's the savings is put away in a certain manner and you get the money in a certain manner. That's a little bit different from regular retirement. You're, you're right. Probably in about 15 to 20 years, I would say would be the last of the actual regular retirement people who are still, still in the pipeline. Uh, and that's, that's assuming that, you know, our economy doesn't take a nosedive and, and we go into, <laughs> we go into a financial winter that lasts for, you know, a decade or something crazy like that. Um, which is all very much possible in the very volatile world that we live in. Um, I, the other thing I would say about it is the, the generation growing up now who are joining the army now or joined within the last five years, even maybe even 10 years. It's a different job landscape out there as well. Like the GS system is the way it is. It's been that way and it's pretty secure. But if you look now, like as of today's date, like December, um, that there's a lot of big companies that are laying a lot of people off. The economy's taking some turns and doing some weird things. And it's strange because you see on the one end, you see these big like fortune 500 companies laying off thousands of people. And on the other side of the coin, you see these venture capital firms that are dishing out millions and millions and millions of dollars to startups to do some interesting tech, whether it's biotech or cryptocurrency tech or anything like that. So it's, it's a, it's a strange kind of mix of what's going on that. And then the, the way the market. Yeah, and that and the people who are, you know, just jumping out of their old traditional job and jumping on the internet and doing podcasts and, um, you know, other other channels and stuff like that, jumping on YouTube and um, making their living that way. You know, it's it's definitely it's definitely different than it's been. Yeah, and that's that's what I mean. Um, 
I mean, I, I, if this thing ever takes off and does anything monetary wise, the, the money that would potentially come from, it's going to go right back into production, right back into setting up the studio, right back into making this the best it could possibly be. Um, but there's, yeah, there's, there's ways now where, you know, 13, 14, 16, 19, 22 year olds can just hop on the internet, whether they're blessed with God's graces and beauty or whether they just have some interesting stuff to talk about or whether they're a hardcore gamer and they have a Twitch channel. Like there's so many different ways. And I think the way the world is going, it's going to get more subdivided and there's going to be more niche areas where people can even go two or three steps deeper into the niche to find a specific target audience. Cause I mean, if you think about it, right, let's say somebody starts a Patreon to do their thing and they have a thousand people signed up on their Patreon at $5 a piece per month. That's a lot of money. That's a, that's a fair living in, by anybody's standards, you know, above the, what is it? $38,000 range or somewhere in there is like the, the mean income for, for somebody who's actually keeping their head above water in the U S at least. And that's way more than any other country in the, in the world. Cause most of those are way, way less than that. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, I know some people who are on active duty now who are making their E4, E5 pay, and they do something online on the side, whether it's flipping stuff on eBay or doing a podcast or doing a Twitch or, you know, just posting stuff on Instagram for whatever products, uh, for product placement, like they're making a good living doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I'm definitely going to dig into it more and more as, as time goes on with the blended retirement stuff. I've already had a bunch of people ask me about it and you're, you're right in a few years here, maybe 15, 15 or so, um, it's going to be the norm and regular retirement is going to go out the window. So. Yeah, I don't even remember what year it was. We had to either opt in or opt out. Um, I just, I just remember that was wasn't so far in the distant past when it was. Hey, do you want to you know, go into the blended retirement, or are you going to you know, keep with the traditional? I was at the point where I had so much time at that point. It was no, there was no way I was going to go switch over to blended, but. And they don't even offer the regular retirement anymore. It's strictly blended from the time you step off the plane of basic training. So yeah, it's a good, that's a good topic to get into. I'm going to have to find some people who are smart on that and, and get them on the show and see if I can open that can of worms. That's, that's your new crowd there. <laughs> um, that's, that's going to be your new audience. They're all going to be like, Oh, we don't want to hear about all these dinosaurs that, you know, retired out on that old traditional retirement, you know, 20 years active duty or, you know, you know, 27 years combined, you know, active and guard and reserve. And, you know, what are they talking about? We're, we're coming in, got eight years and, you know, on, on, on station and time to get out, go into the, you know, to the internet job or the corporate world or whatever it might be. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the next generation, how that all pans out. It's, it's really, I, it's, it's at the forefront of my mind all the time. It's all I think about really, because my kids are that age as well. So uh, it's interesting to watch it unfold and how it's going to play out. If you ever, if you ever get a chance, there's a book called the fourth turning and it's not a self-help book or anything like that. It's, Literally, I can send you the link or whatever the name of it afterwards. But um, it's one that I, I came across um, watching a podcast called The Spirited Man, Van Neistat. He's a filmmaker. His brother's Casey Neistat. Anyways, he did a he did a short movie, a uh, short film on it, uh, discussing it, and it's really it talks about the the four different. Um, sections of each century basically and how they're broken into these 20 year blocks roughly right 20 to 30 year blocks the centuries go from 80 to 120 years depending so it's not a true century but it's a uh, a complete evolution of 
of one generation of a, uh, you know, a civilization, whether it's America or Europe or wherever. And it talks about what roles each generation plays within the society and how things have panned out and like what major catastrophe or what major breakthrough in, in science or technology changes the way we then move into the next uh, century of living or the next generation of living and how those things continue to occur the same kind of ways over time, not exactly the same details, but in the similar, similar patterns and similar ways that they, that they play out. Like that first generation tends to be sort of the same every time. Is that what you're getting at? Okay. So now this next generation will actually be the generation that preceded the boomer generation, right? Or maybe the World War II generation. Something like that. Like the artists, the, you know, the ones who are uh, artistically expressing themselves and, and going out into the world. Yeah. And also the, the sages of, of their, of the next series of generations. The fourth turning. I'll have to look that up. It's a real good book. I, I want to read it again. I just got done reading it a couple weeks ago and it's just, my mind is just, it's completely exploded. So yeah, it's a good one. And it's, it's got a good, it's got some good stories and it's some good historical text. So I think you would like it. Check it out. Cool, man. Um, well, without keeping you on here, holding you hostage forever and ever, um, I think I've covered everything and I hope that I covered everything to your liking. And is there anywhere that you would want to point somebody to come reach out to you if they wanted to reach out and say hi or anything like that? Uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook, Tony Horton, but um, I'm not a big active um, in Facebook. Uh, I just use it to keep track of family. Um, mostly just see what people are putting on there. Only, you know, only really reply when it's pressing stuff, but um, I am there. Um, I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Snapchat or Instagram or any of that stuff. It's just, um, just use Facebook to keep track of the relatives and the, and the family and the friends. Perfect. I'll write that down and I'll put it in the notes. And, um, with that, thank you again for the, for the second time, uh, probably more times after that, uh, when we cross paths in the future in Germany and maybe link up and grab a beer or a wine in my case. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's been a pleasure. I, hopefully this one works out and everything's good. It sounds like it's going to, so, um, we'll hope and pray, but thank you for taking the time out and thank you for, um, being very, very gracious with your time and spending it with me. And I, I really, truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Then. So for everybody else out there, uh, in the internet, uh, thanks for listening. We've got all the notes for the show that will be down below somewhere for you to read through and any links to any things that we talked about, whether books or movies or video games or anything like that, uh, will all be down in the notes. And until next time, talk to everybody later.